Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us writing for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour. She leaned across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that. Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, went to the ABC and audition. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. And <laughs> <laughs> as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and welcome to the Stages podcast. I'm delighted to welcome to the show today Lucetta Stapleton. Lucetta has worked in the wardrobe department of countless shows over the past decades. On the Stages podcast, we like to feature conversations with a range of creatives about craft and career. And it's always fascinating to speak with designers about their approach to creating character through costume. Today, I'm thrilled that we have the opportunity to learn what takes place with costumes after the design process is completed, backstage and during the run of a show. And who better than Lucetta? Recently, she has been working on the musical Hamilton and soon takes up the role of Deputy Head of Wardrobe on Moulin Rouge, which opens in Melbourne in August. You're happy? How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. Good, Thank good, you. good. <laughs> Always good when you finish work. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's, um, it's been a long day for you. Yes, indeedy. Look at look what I found in my <laughs> oh research. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that the most adorable photograph? Oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> Do you know that's online? Uh, I found no. that online. Yeah, oh, yeah. there you go. I just did a search for you. Oh, wow. And, and that gorgeous photo came up. Oh. Listeners, if... Uh, if you want to have a look at the photograph, um, just put Lucetta Stapleton in Google. And um, <laughs> that was a a school day, was it? Your face it painting a, day? Yeah, it was a school fete down at um, a school not far from where I grew up, and they were doing face painting on the day. I think this lady was an actress. She was an actress. Right yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, can't remember her name. Down down the bottom here. Ah, lovely. Rosalind Wood. I've Rosalind heard, never Wood. heard of her. No, oh, I have to go and Google her now. Yeah, <laughs> I think she was a local. So, yeah, and came in obviously with her um, theatre skills and was doing kids' painting. I think I got to choose what, what I was and I wanted to be a clown. So, there you go. So, yeah. so as a kid, did you dress up lots? <laughs> oh, yes. A ridiculous yeah. amount. Yeah. In fact, and- most of the family photos that are on shelves are of me probably like swathed in curtains and Chinese umbrella and every like gloves that don't fit me shoes that don't fit me yeah loved it <laughs> so did you have a costume box or yeah dress up box yeah, yeah yeah big cane basket and that was um i got uh, neighbors gave us clothes um bits of great fabric were put in there clothes that my parents didn't wear anymore they kind of ended up there was all sorts of treasures in there I think it ended up going to a Vinnie's one time, one move when I was probably about 18 or 19, which is a bit of a shame, but there's probably some delightful 70s treasures in there. Gorgeous. And, um, yeah, it was great. It was one of my favourite things. So were you a bit of an extrovert as a kid? Um, not really so much an extrovert. I, I, 
my school reports did say gets easily distracted. Right. <laughs> that was usually a maths class. I was looking out the window. Mm. Um, not too interested in the in the maths side of things, but loved the arts and um, really got into like fine arts and painting and drawing with my favourites. Um, and then seeing a lot of theatre as a kid, I'd started drawing costumes and, you know, princesses in giant ball gowns with, you know, stars on their heads and hearts on their sleeves and dressing up my Barbie dolls and, you know. So did your family take you to the theatre? Yeah, Yeah. a lot, a lot. We were quite lucky as a a child to be taken to quite a few shows and really that was one thing. I think going to the theatre a lot, there's a lot of blurred images of great shows I saw, but um, the thing I always took out of it was my favourite costume from it and I loved the ensembles when they came on and usually the girls' ensemble, they came on. I remember seeing... 42nd Street and all the girls came out in their little gold tutus and I think in the money number and I just think my eyeballs nearly popped out of my head I was so excited so yeah those were the I remember 42nd Street and, and bowled over with because it had a cast of 60 or something yeah it was it? huge and then there's that big production number dames what do you go for oh, go right, see a yeah. show for tell the truth you go to see those beautiful dames and then this fashion parade where oh, wow. each of those women came out in a different costume oh my lord yeah. Oh my lord! I'd love to see it again. Actually, someone yeah. should do that. Yeah, I don't remember that one. I'll have to watch it. Don't remember Dames? Yeah, no, it's definitely the gold shiny one. So, yeah. <laughs> Roger Kirk designed that recently oh, wow. on Broadway and in the West End. Oh, clever bunny! Yeah. So, what was the the first show you remember that really made an impact? Um. Look, I think it probably something. As I said, like my my sort of memories as a kid of seeing shows, it, it's sort of such a blur. It's like a general general image. I find I, and I'd say things like flashy flashy tap shows, like certainly Forty Second Streets. Kind of trying to think of another one now, but um, I remember seeing shows that were sort of very sort of nineteen twenties styled, where they had all the jewel beaded gowns, sort of those big showy, beautiful show stopping numbers, sort of musicals were it was definitely musicals that were my favorites and the showier and sparklier the better yeah. really well, that's where the big color and movement was I yeah guess. absolutely yeah. that was definitely what I was drawn to yeah yeah so what were your career aspirations were you hoping to work in fashion or? um when I, I I did sort of want to when I when I I did work experience at the Australian Opera um, when I was 16 um, because I was interested in costumes and not so much fashion but um I just sort of thought, well, I thought, well, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so this Australian opera thing came up. So I went in there and they were really busy making a production of Rake's Progress and they were really far behind. I didn't really have many sewing skills or anything like that at 16. And they sent me up to the millinery department um, because they were were under the pump and just wanted some people to help and just do anything, pin in labels, whatever. I ended up working up there for the week and that sparked this huge interest in head, in headwear for me and from there I kind of became much more interested in costumes and in films especially when you get a lot of period pieces and you get big amazing hats that you just don't see people wearing these days I started becoming quite aware of that and really getting quite interested in that and then started studying millinery and accessories and much more sort of paid a lot more attention to costumes after that and so I decided I was going to be a costume designer and of course you know 
Priscilla Queen of the Desert came out and Strictly Ballroom was coming out and was like I want to be I want to be Catherine Martin and I want to be Tim Chappell and I want to win an Oscar for my amazing designs and anyway didn't quite get there I instead I found theatre and got completely obsessed with the backstage runnings of a show and um yeah stayed stayed there so that yeah it literally I kind of drifted into theatre really and and then got bitten by a bug and stayed there. <laughs> when you left uh school secondary school did you mm. do any training anywhere yeah I did through the TAFE colleges I I was going to do a fine arts course uh, at high school so I could apply for NIDA into for their design course um, and unfortunately I don't know quite how I did it but I sent my application for uni instead of it going to the university application board I sent it to myself oh. and I Honestly, so this is email or snail mail. This was snail mail. Right. Yeah. So this is the this is the this is nineties, and I just I absolutely have no idea how I did that. But anyway, I did. So I had to defer for a year. I had to, and so in the meantime, I went and studied all these courses to fill in a year before I reapplied for fine arts to get into design. Um, so I studied. I picked up fine arts courses at TAFE. Um, they they did a great millinery course because I was like, oh, I know millinery and I can do that. There was a costume making course that um, I a tailor for the Australian Opera was taking out in Strathfield I did that I did a shoemaking course I just did everything I could I could do and build up a portfolio for NIDA with my drawing and everything um and yeah kept at that uh I also kind of eventually was kind of ringing around trying to get some backstage work in theatre to see what costumes went through if I was going to go down the costume designer way and and that's sort of literally in amongst all this studying for a couple of years I eventually got backstage and yeah and then it literally all went out the window <laughs> I was like this is what I want to do this is where I want to be and uh continued studying afterwards um with with did some fashion design decided I didn't really like fashion design because it was, I, I got pulled up too many times for being too theatrical with my designs <laughs> so I was like yeah stick to what you know so stick to the costume side of things and how do you define the difference between fashion and costume Oh, that's an interesting one. Well, see, I think if someone's going to say it's too theatrical, then you're saying it's a little bit, potentially costume is, it's extreme or a bit otherworldly. Heightened. Yeah, yeah. heightened, yeah. 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 Whereas whereas fashion's definitely, that's self-expression and you can, you know, depending on your mood, even by the hour, you can change what you put out there. But then as costume, you need to tell, you need to tell a story, make it clear in sometimes in a couple of seconds, that's all you get. So, well, the costume is the character, I, I, yeah, I guess. Whereas yeah. fashion is uh... true, is it, is the personality, and it's and it's a trend as well. It's not necessarily specific to that person. Mm. There are so many contributors to the way a character looks on stage. I mm. e.g. the costume, the shoemakers, or the cobblers, the milliners, mm-hmm. the the cutters who yeah. cut out the shape, sew it together. Yeah, the the wig people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It doesn't just happen, does it? No, no. Right. As I keep saying, one of the favourite terms of everyone at the moment, it takes a village. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and that's that's what we're, you know, seeing with the, with the build and, like I said, Moulin Rouge that we're getting up and fitting at the moment. Because um, you're, you're deputy uh, wardrobe yep. Uh, yep. head. Definitely, yeah. Supervisor. What's, yeah. The, what's the full time? <laughs> Deputy head of wardrobe. <laughs> right. Okay. Great. Yeah. So um, we're seeing that. At the what, moment. An, what an exciting project to be working on. Mm, yeah. So excited about that. So excited. <laughs> so, so tell me about your day to day because you've been um, fitting yeah. actors yep. for the costumes. Yeah. So um, 
again, I, I come in, I feel like I've got one of the easier jobs. There's a whole team that have wrangled wrangled everyone certain times and amounts of times to come in for fittings. So, you know, we get we get someone come in and first thing is they, you know, put on three sets of tights and we send them off to the shoemaker. Off they go. They come back with their show shoes or a pair of shoes that they can, that are the right height they can stand in. Why three pairs of tights? Ah, uh, because um, because it's Moulin Rouge, <laughs> and you can, can, can. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's what I think. But um, so we're having a lot of laughs about the amount of tights that are coming on and off at the moment. Oh, is this um, so, so? They're it's actually part of the design, right? So mm. they take a pair of tights off and they're into the costume changes. Yeah, of right. yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's fun. Like, it's just a visual feast. Like, there's just no detail left untouched. It's like everything gets changed over and over and over again. It's great. Really, really a visual feast. COVID has certainly um, made an impact on the Mm. way that that theatre is made. Mm. Um, I believe right in the middle of COVID, um, Hamilton was was about to go into rehearsal and mm-hmm. costumes were being fitted and the actors were sent home a, a how to measure yourself kit yes. rather than actually having the, the costume people do that yeah abs- yeah um it's funny because i i actually heard that last night we had some um drinks after our 99th show of hamilton last night um and someone was telling me exactly that that they'd never had to do that before they were sending tape measures and a little kit and how to do this kit to a performance which i it's so unusual and then we had this back in um, October. We're setting up Pippin in the theater, uh, the Sydney Lyric Theatre, and we we're having Zoom um, measurements, basically or Zoom meetings for measurements with cast. And I was literally standing there with my tape measure with a little metal bit on my wrist bone, and kind of going, "You need to put it here, and you need to wrap it around your elbow, and then take it up to your shoulder, and showing people how to measure themselves and not have the tape measure upside down, make sure they tell me centimetres, not inches, and all of that. And well, it's a bit risky, you know, when you're getting actors and their ego to measure themselves. Absolutely. Think, no, my waist isn't that big. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah, no, that it needs to be a little bit more relaxed, that tape. You can't have it that tight. <laughs> 100%. But then when you get the contortionist doing a measurement with the tape measure, that's always fun. They always got it right. <laughs> right. <laughs> what are some other changes that COVID has, has brought about? Um, well, we've got... Uh, Audiences, one the one that's a daily thing for me. Audiences and all of back of house cast and crew um, have to be wearing face masks. So uh, the cast, once they're in show makeup and microphones, they they don't have to be in a mask. But in corridors or green room, if you're not eating or drinking, um, which has got its own challenges when you, you know, backstage you've got low light. It's all blue light, and sometimes if microphones are live with performers and there's problems, you can mouth things to them which we can't do at the moment with masks um your speech is a bit muffled so communication is a bit unusual um and it is a massive adjustment i mean i know medical staff wear these masks all the time yeah. and they're used to it yeah. and like uh, hands down to them they're they're amazing for the work they do in the masks because you know you get hot you feel a bit sometimes a bit short of breath you know you get your throat gets tired from talking loudly through masks and but i think that's the biggest the biggest one um is a mask situation but then you know also too we've got with little flare-ups of COVID cases we've just got it hanging above your head that potentially we could be shut down again yeah you know we've we've you know everyone everyone says theater's back but you know it's still a bit tenuous absolutely if we COVID gets out of control again like we saw in Melbourne the the theater's shut and it can all be taken away and that's actually really quite scary it's almost a little bit like last year was 
quite traumatic and confronting and upsetting for a lot of people in the arts community and it's kind of nice to see things bubbling again and coming along and you just hope everything goes well but something there's something a little bit in the back of your mind you're just bracing yourself in case it happens again yeah, so, yeah. which is a very unusual situation but know. do those modifications mean that, that theatre can still happen and, mm. and people can be employed then yeah absolutely that's you abide by those rules yeah absolutely and like wearing the masks you know it's not it's not comfortable but you know as we, we were saying especially back on Pippin it was like if this is what it takes for us to for us to be back and to do what we love and what we're good at then we'll do it We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do cartwheels in a mask if that's what it takes. So yeah. We're here. <laughs> yeah. What are some of the rules with costume? I mean, is there still the old, you know, don't eat in your costume? Yeah. Do not sit down in your costume? Well, yes. It's some, I think given some costumes now are a bit, um, a bit more stretch related, so the sitting down, not so much. Like, obviously, Moulin Rouge, we've got a lot of corsets, so there's going to be a and tutus and all sorts of things that, you know, you can't sit in, can't be sat in. But definitely you don't eat in costume without a robe on. You don't drink in costume without a robe on. Um, only clear liquid water backstage. Have a, a bottle that's closed vessel, like no screw tops and all that sort of thing. So some, some of the old standards will never go, go away. But um, one thing that's I find less these days is that you don't have, like it used to be, people going out and having a cigarette in their costumes at interval. That just doesn't... You just people just don't smoke anymore. So at least there's no potential, oh, yeah, cigarette butt on the sole of a shoe or burn in a costume. That's so. Was, was that always a, a potential that, that you'd get a costume and oh, there's a cigarette burn here? Or oh, I I didn't. I've never got a cigarette burn. I've heard of people who have burnt costumes with a cigarette. Um, have seen cigarette butts backstage in a theatre that obviously someone's put out a cigarette butt with their show shoe and probably walked it in through the theatre. So that was gross. <laughs> it's like, ew. <laughs> um, so those days are kind of gone. Um, and also too, I remember when I started in theatre, people used to sort of smoke backstage too. So you get that smell of smoke in costumes yeah, where you, yeah. you kind of go, well, if you're telling performers they can't smoke in costume, then... Why should you? Why should they be allowed to smoke? Why should cart crew or whatever be allowed to smoke anywhere near a costume? But yeah. it's like, yeah, different times. But... And of course, costumes aren't cheap; they're incredibly oh expensive, my aren't gosh, they? Gosh, yeah, some of the costs, and you know, when you see the amount of work in them and some of the materials that are being used, they, you know, you, you go, I understand why they cost so much. What I don't understand is when you know you've got someone wearing these amazing, fabulous costumes that's helping them portray a character it's giving the audience bang for their buck and really dazzling them and you know they they kind of take off their pants and tread all over them or kick them into a basket and that's I, I find that a little bit strange also too because they're going to be wearing the costume so as long as the costume's looking great they're also going to be looking great but if you treat your costume badly it's going to look shabby soon and so are you yeah so yeah so I'm all about respecting the costume. Absolutely. <laughs> I always treated a costume uh, like it is an extension of, you, of yourself. Yeah. It, it's, it's the character. Yeah. I mean, uh, with Commedia dell'arte and those other forms of theatre, you know, yeah. the mask is greatly respected because it's uh, it adds to your performance, an yeah. extension of your performance. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, yeah, it's such a it's such a important piece of storytelling. Yeah. Really. And they've got to be built to last, don't they? Because mm. these, some of these costumes are worn eight times a week mm. for up to two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even with the best of care, sometimes they're treated very badly in the sense that um, when I first wanted to go into theatre and I su- they suggested I go backstage and have a look at costumes, what the piece of advice that my dad said to go to me, he said, uh, look, you know, costumes aren't normal clothes. They, they undergo a lot of 
things that your jeans and your t-shirt will never see so go and get some experience so so this was great advice because you look at you know we've got I've worked on some shows I've got amazing dresses you know like you know my fair lady-esque dresses that are all corseted and beautiful long trains and really opulent fabrics and everything like that and then you know everyone walks off very graciously into the wings and then suddenly there's a team of everyone like someone's taking pins out of a hat someone's like changing a wig on top like someone else is unzipping a dress and undoing hooks and bars on a skirt and getting them out of that and someone's ripping shoes off and throwing them all in baskets and getting the next thing on and picking the baskets up and running away and you know these these costumes that are costing hundreds and hundreds of dollars that are just like shoved in baskets and you know someone when when as soon as someone can get to it and hang it up they hung up but they're sitting there <laughs> being treated like they never should be treated just um, for the sake of a quick change and to sell to tell all the story which is yeah. their job but yeah if they're not made strong they don't last yeah. Yeah. but even even a show like lame is where mm. the cast are apparently wearing rags yeah they're all beautifully detailed costumes oh yeah they, which... absolutely and art finished and and even the rips are you know edged so that they don't rip too far because there is such a thing as too raggedy in lame is right. and plus some costumes on the last lame is that i worked on some of those costumes had name tags of people in it who had done the, the production in 1995. No, 1997 it was. Wow. And so we were doing it and it was 2016, I think. So yeah. all those years later, those costumes were still alive and kicking and doing another run of Les Mis and they'd been around the world. So they looked after, they're maintained, they're built well to start with. And, um, yeah, that's what, that's what we do. Uh, are the costumes... Uh, dry cleaned because I believe dry cleaning can affect material. Yes, definitely. There's some costumes you can't dry clean. Um, Some fabrics, you know, like some metallics just get stripped away with dry cleaning. Uh, The chemicals have changed over the years because when I started in theatre it used to be a thing that, you know, costumes came back from dry cleaning and they had a smell to them, a chemical smell to them and it was not good for singers, like breathing in all the time and when the body heats up the fumes, just the smell of the chemicals was getting a bit too much sometimes. Um, So you you never get that smell anymore, which is great, and less plastic being used on each garment too to cover it. I remember Rhonda Birchmore telling me a story. Uh, she was in a show called Sugar Babies. Oh, yes, yeah, I saw that. I loved it. And she, she used to stand there and sing to these doves who would come out and, and land on her parts of her costume on her arms oh, and uh, wow. down at her crutch on a little, on a little bridge, etc. Warm and Willing was the song. Oh. And she said that, that one night the... Um, uh, the wardrobe department had changed the, the dry cleaning fluids or something. So oh, it was a different smell, and the oh. doves refused to land on it. Oh, wow. Yes, because <gasps> I was so used to a particular oh my smell. God. Yes, yeah. 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 And, you know, and given different dry cleaners, they used, yeah, they, some of them were heavy-handed with them. Some smelt better than others, though. So that's, there's a lesson, don't change your dry cleaners mid-season. Yes, the doves won't <laughs> land on no. you. No, <laughs> check with the doves first. <laughs> now, you've been a dresser as well. Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. The, the quickest... Um, costume change that you've had to accomplish Ooh. oh my goodness I've had some doozies because um, sometimes it's not just you it's a team of, yes, of dresses isn't it yeah. removing hats putting on shoes yeah there was look there was one that was really quick that I, um, that I remember that was on um, Sweet Charity that was right at the end and it was me and a wiggy and the cast member had to do a quick change for, she was in her kind of like her club costume and she went into like a corporate look so not only did she have a whole complete costume change in a very short space of time and it was just for a curtain call as well but she also had to have a very kind of big french roll put into her hair by this wiggy who was phenomenally awesome um 
but that was it was a suit that actually went over the head so we had to do that first so the wiggy could get the hair done and then get everything else and that was I can't actually remember the minutes but the amount of the amount of work we had to do in a short space of time was huge and I actually I don't know if she'll listen to this and know it but I actually got punched in the nose one time in that change and I got a slightly deviated septum from it still, still? <laughs> yeah Wow. Could have been down without my nose throbbing for two weeks, but, oh, no. it, but the timing was so tight. We just kept going, and she was like, she kept asking me if I was okay. And I was like, I'm fine, and I've got stars in front of my eyes, and all I wanted to do was get that costume on just before I felt like I was going to pass out. But um, there was a great change on Wicked too. That there was, and that was just me and a wiggy as well. Um, and a few people did this change. It was a, with um, Galinda, and she comes off. She's in her big bubble dress this giant sparkly layered blue goddess of a dress it was beautiful she went full tiara wig and costume change into a school uniform with a beret and a straight wig so that was very quick and her mic was live so if something went wrong we couldn't talk through it and she was supposed to jump on a luggage cart and make a very dramatic entrance as if nothing's happened and so we had we had a few tight ones of those which was fun a few hairy ones but yeah usually it went on but those ones are fun. The short, sharp, effective ones are great. Really fun to do. And hopefully get better and easier through the season. Yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, the first ones are always a little bit yeah. miss. Because I imagine some actors are better than others. At, yeah, oh, at cut, definitely. Uh, quick changes because yeah. they've just got to stand there. Or they're, actually, they've got to cooperate with yeah. the dresses as well. Yeah. yeah, it's really choreographed. And it's a great – when you get a great team, it's really good. And the best teams really are when you're touring a show. And if you've got if – you, if I'm dressing – if, say if I'm head of wardrobe and I've got a dressing plot, if I'm dressing and there's a touring wig person as well and the, our regular performer. like We had a great team on Legally Blonde. They had Jess Murray, who's a wig, wiggy, and Lucy Girac, who was El, playing Elle Woods, and I dressed. Um, and we had this great team going on, and but it was absolute choreography. We just had it down pat once we got it. And the second one of us were off and someone else comes in, you know, it works because the other two, you know, pick pick up, pick up a bit of slack and help we all help each other out but it just changes the dynamic hugely so yeah. and your adrenaline level goes up and it's a team effort it's definitely a team effort <laughs> sometimes there's more entertainment backstage there is happening on stage yes definitely because it's, it's like clockwork i mean not only the wardrobe department the, the crew mm. uh, lighting the, the stage manager calling the show it's a, a well-oiled machine isn't it absolutely so get... i always feel like it's um like cogs in a timepiece that everyone, like your traffic backstage, you know that, you know, I, well, I can't go and stand up in the wing for my change until the props people bring that table off and then I can go and stand there and then I wait for someone to come off and then I can put my costume on the ground and set up and then my person comes off, we do our change and leave. So it's literally, it's all timed to work. And again, when you get new people in the mix, when you get, um, you get understudies, you get swings um, from all departments coming in, it changes that. So everyone's... I was going to move around each other and help each other out. Suddenly, if someone's standing in the spot where you normally set up a costume, it's a bit like, you worry if you're late for something or are they not supposed to be there? So, yeah, we get get very routine orientated. I suppose it's an unspoken communication also sometimes. You don't necessarily Mm. think, I'm going to stand here until you move the table. You all just are intelligent enough to recognise what's happening and what needs to be done. Yeah, yeah. And I've got, um, I leave Hamilton soon, so I've got someone learning my track. Uh, He started yesterday. Um... And actually, I found it quite interesting because I started explaining what I did. And I was like, I actually don't know why I do that at this point. And then I get a trigger and kind of go, oh, yeah, that's because someone someone needs to run past before I can safely go up there. So, so it is literally, it is that unspoken language. It just evolves. 
and you don't realize it's happening but it works automatic pilot yeah 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 Yeah, it's great because it might be a cast of 30 on stage but backstage Mm. there's up to 80 people isn't there yeah yeah Yeah. i mean on hamilton just in wardrobe we've got i think there's about eight people who are in during the days Um, we have a head and deputy wardrobe and we've got eight dresses who come in and do the the show calls so that's you know there's like 18 people just in one department so you know it's that's pretty crazy so of course it's not just the uh, the three hours of the show. It's mm. a, mm. it's a full day. So what happens in a, a show week in the wardrobe department? What what um, what are the jobs that you need to accomplish? Your jobs. Um, so say with Hamilton, like on Tuesday when we come in for our first show of the week, um, the costumes that have gone for dry cleaning that have come back, we just go over and you know check that the buttons are all still on and put them all back where they need to be. Um, move the costumes all around stage to preset for where they need to be during the show. Um, ironing costumes pre-show, um, and by, that's by the time we've come in. So at the start of the day, you've got the maintenance team turn up and they do the laundry, the washing. So the washing, the ironing, the repairs, shoe repair of costumes and shoes and everything. Um, they've done a full day by the time we come in. Uh, and then you've got the head and deputy of wardrobe who in mid-afternoon so they, they're there when the day team's in and they're there when the night team's in so they oversee everything and they're in there doing the repairs and coordinating fittings and um, fielding the calls if someone's in sick and working out who's going to cover them and, and um, changing costumes over when the cast change comes in and swapping the you know one person's set of costumes out for the understudy set of costumes and making sure everything's set up and good to go. So it's not just uh, turning up and putting on a show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Tell me about a show like Singing in the Rain because Mm -hmm. that's a show where the cast, part of the the action was to Mm. to get drenched. Yeah. So you had to deal every night with with saturated costumes. Yeah, Yeah. literally. That was was everyone running off at the end of the stage, uh, end of the show off stage, taking everything off and putting them in buckets because everything was literally drenched. Taking them, taking all the costumes went up to wardrobes straight into the washing machines um the hats and shoes we had felt hats and leather shoes which was great um they all went off to a drying room where pretty much just got everything got shook out patted down put up on we had a special room where it was all sealed with humidifiers and heaters and shelves and we put everything on the shelves patted down and left the heaters and humidifiers on overnight to and usually it took for the shoes it probably took about a day and a half to dry them out so we had two sets of everything yeah, it was a wow. it was a very labour intensive show that one, and any time we did publicity, the you know, the last thing in the publicity was always let it rain because once once you let it rain once you couldn't do it a second time because you can't start dry again. Everyone, you've got all that time for everything. Everything needs to get dry for to recreate the singing in the rain scenes. Wow. So yeah, that was that was crazy. That was a really crazy but awesomely fun show. Loved it. And in some shows, uh, all cast members would wear. Absolutely, more than one costume. Mm. We're up to seven, eight costumes. Yeah, so yeah. you've got thousands of costumes in a show, especially if you've got doubles as well. Yeah, yeah. There's um, lots of things like shirts. We've got double shirts. Um, you know, we've got principals, and then we have there's usually two understudies for each principal, so they all have their own sets of costumes. So, like we've got a you know Satine in Moulin Rouge. She's got sixteen costumes per show. And then she's also got she's got an alternate and she's got understudies, so they've all got to be reproduced and stored somewhere, which is fun. Yeah. <laughs> lots of um, lots of hanging space backstage if you're lucky. That's right. Yeah, mm. finding space for all of them. Yeah. 
Um, dancers' costumes would be mm. have a different build, mm-hmm. I guess, because they they need to be able to move. Yeah. In them. Yeah, they so do. So different materials and yeah, lots of stretch space. Yeah. Yeah, and like the dancers on on Hamilton, we've got like the ensemble who just work so hard the whole whole way through the show. Uh, well, lots of stretch pants, um, lots of elastic used to keep everything together to stop shirts coming out from trousers, and um, the girls wear corsets that have got quite flexy bones in them, so they're not fully corseted in, even though they give the illusion of it. So they so that they can do all their amazing things. But you know, seeing what seeing what they do on stage, you still look at it and go, I still can't believe they can do that, and even though everything moves. Yeah, it's crazy, <laughs> crazy. There's not more damage done to the costume either. But, yeah. Do you get to work much with the designers? They're there early on in proceedings, I guess. Yeah, not so much. Like we tend not to get the designers out so much when a show comes from overseas. Um, a couple of times, like on, I did the first Priscilla Queen of the Desert musical, and Tim Chappell, who'd done the movie, was and Lizzie Gardner were both there at the time, um, which was very exciting. So I was kind of listening to everything they were saying, and they were experiencing a live show as opposed to film for the first time. Yep. So. That was kind of interesting seeing the two different takes on costume. Um, Strictly Ballroom I did and we had Catherine Martin backstage so I was just fangirling all over the place. It was ridiculous. Um, she, you know, you'd hear conversations that she was having about, you know, you know, budgets and designs and we had a couple of design things that she, that she wanted to put into the show but fortunately she came and talked to people who were doing, who were working the costume changes and was like, wow, you know, you might want to, change all these shoes at this point but telling you there's not time to change the shoes at this point and you know she watched what we did and was like oh, okay so some things got nixed and other things got added and it's like okay we'll try that and try and try and try and try to make things work and then they just didn't work so they got taken out again so yeah it doesn't happen often but when it when it does happen it's exciting we've got quite a repertoire of shows now singing mm. in the rain dirty dancing mm-hmm. matthew Bourne, swan lake strictly ballroom legally blonde <laughs> beautiful the carol king story jersey mm. boys wicked yeah <laughs> what, what was the show that began it all where, where did you start um the first show yeah. that i worked on um i worked backstage on greece the musical which was uh that was an Ast- oh, i forget who designed it but um david atkins directed it I oh the, the footbridge the footbridge theater, theater yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that was my first one and when I got the advice to work backstage I was ringing around constantly ringing theatres to see if I could get some experience and I got no 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 and then I rang Greece one night and I rang when someone's one of the other dress one of the dresses in wardrobe her grandfather had died in South, South Australia and wanted to go home for the funeral and it was back in the day where you just didn't have time off shows and she said well I will leave because I want to go to this funeral and I rang going, hi, can I get a job so I can get some experience? And they were like, when can you come in? And it was like, oh, great. So Greece, yeah, I went backstage and I didn't know you wore black backstage, but I just thought I was going to be the cool kid. I was, I'm going to wear all black and turn up and be cool. And it was like, oh, <laughs> everyone's wearing black. So, so few. <laughs> um, and that was exciting and fun. And I'd actually seen that show a couple of months earlier. So at least I had some visuals of what I was doing, but... That was just like, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just eyes bugging out of my head. I didn't know what prompt and OP were, like, for sides of the stage. and um, But so exciting, so exciting. And I was only covering for, like, a week, I think it was. And then, um, as I said, it was a time people just didn't have time off. And so once there was someone backstage who was filling in for other people, the props person was like, well, I would really like some time off too. 
could you cover me? And I was like, because I knew the, knew the show. I yeah. knew at least knew some faces and knew yeah. the order of the show. By then, I was like, yeah, sure. So they got me in. I was doing props. And then I covered for another props person. Then someone else in wardrobe wanted some time off. So I bumped around and I was spending a couple of months doing that show. And then it closed and I was devastated. But it was so exciting. And I was, but serving a great apprenticeship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. on the job. Absolutely. And I was literally so excited to be there. And loving what I was doing and yeah literally got bitten by the bug and I was like I want I want more I want more of this and um yeah so I kept hustling and someone else one of the don't one of the follow spot operators said to me he said well while you're doing a show make contacts ask people what they're doing next ask when the next show is and I was like oh yeah okay great so yeah so I kept hustling and Still hustling. <laughs> oh, no, it's wonderful, a wonderful gain for uh, Australian musical theatre. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the most difficult costume that you've had to work with? Ooh, I feel like there's been some costume that was just falling to... Pe- oh, my gosh, I know what it is. You know. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. It's repressed memory coming up. <laughs> I did this crazy tour of Peter Pan Goes Wrong a couple of years ago, and it was Australia and New Zealand. And we had a Tinkerbell costume that um, had all these little fairy lights in it that lit up. And it was just, it was one thing dealing with the lighting department who are very technical and then the costume department that's very people orientated. So we had, you know, electricians changing the size of the battery packs to like something that was like the size of a small car battery. And it's like, that can't even fit under a costume when there's a person in there. And so there was a little bit of a, teaching someone else what a costume needs to do when they don't really understand that the lights would go out of the time they'd interchange we'd need to re-stitch fairy lights into it which was laborious um it was a, a costume that the the girl went woman went into in and out of a lot during the show very fast every single time and we had a couple of times where i went got to put it in the costume and the zip would break oh. and it's like what do we even do? And the the costume was full of bells. So it became a thing of like if the costume... It happened like two or three times, I think. So when Tinkerbell's supposed to be saying something on stage, we literally were just shaking bells in near her microphone. And so Peter Pan was on stage going, what was that, Tink? And you see this ding, 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 and from the wings. And it was just like, it was one of those things. Every time I went to do up that zip, it was like... Oh, please work. Please be good to us tonight. <laughs> so anyway. Peter Pan went wrong on stage? And yes, stage. yes. It went wrong in ways it shouldn't have gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, costumes can be quite heavy as well, can't they? Yes, yeah. definitely. Um, Is I, that because of the material? Yeah. Or the amount of material? Quite often it's the amount yeah. of material. It's usually the big long ball gowns that are the, the killers. Um, but then, you know, at the moment with Hamilton, there's a lot of military costumes. And so the wool and the brass buttons and everything, they weigh a lot. And they're quite long as well. So it's a bad habit that dresses fall into with lifting them above your shoulder and you're not getting a bit shoulder, bit shoulder issues if you're not careful. So, but yeah, lots of... When you see the big, beautiful ball gowns that I love, they're usually trouble and heavy. <laughs> You've designed yourself mm-hmm. a couple of shows at the Hayes Theatre. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Violet and mm-hmm. High Society. Yep. Was that fun? Yeah, that was really great. You really got to great. Exercise another muscle. Yeah, yeah, and finally, you know, I started I, when I came into theatre. I was going to be a designer one day, so it kind of was nice to come full circle and go. Now I'm great. I've finally done it all these years later. Um, not the, not the budgets of strictly ballrooms or anything like that by any means, but, yeah, I loved it. It was very re- definitely reinvigorating mentally to do an independent show and design it from and see everything from another side. 
Well, you were designing. You were also probably making. Yes, I guess. And, yeah. And and the search, which yes, can trawling. take weeks to find yeah. that right piece that you're after. Yeah. And when you've got when you're on a small budget and small time frame, like there's no substitute for time. So every minute counts, and everyone who can help you out counts. Everyone who loans you a pair of glasses from for a private collection or from a theatre, you know, it's just. Just, just goddesses, really. <laughs> just amazing people. So, yeah. yeah. But it's it's great fun. Definitely something I'm glad I did. But I've got so much respect for people who can work to budgets now. <laughs> you like to do more? Yeah, I would. I yeah. would. Um, I was I was did a few in a row, which was wonderful. I was lucky lucky to have that, and very honoured to be asked. And there was a couple of other projects that I was asked to do, but couldn't do wasn't available in Sydney to have done them, um, which was a shame uh, to turn them down. So it's kind of one of those things when you keep doing it, people ask you, yeah. you know, which is great. But then the second you sort of, you have to say no to no a few times, people stop asking. So, yeah. yeah. So next time I'm definitely going to be in Sydney for a while and there's those things going. I'll see what's around. Great. See if there's fun, something that uh, that'd be fun to do, fun yeah. to design, get out there again. Are you superstitious in the theatre? Um, I am. Yes, I. I've heard some really ridiculous superstitions, but I. De- I'm a firm believer in not whistling backstage. Yep. That's something that was drummed into me very early days, and I thought it was silly. But uh, it's funny. I hear whistling now, and it's. I've instantly got my heckles up. It's like who's whistling? And we've got masks back- backstage. Someone a couple of weeks ago was whistling, and I couldn't tell who it was because the masks. I couldn't see whose lips were pursed. But um, yeah, definitely don't whistle backstage. Um, and that all comes back from, you know, there used to be apparently a signal they used to... For the flyman. For the flyman, yeah. Mm. So if you whistled, you could get a sandbag dropped on your head if you weren't careful. Yeah. Um, they say, I, I had to think about where we were before I say Macbeth, as you said. <laughs> <laughs> this could the curse play, the Scottish play, as we say. Um, I, I feel like with the whistling, you know, it's supposed to sort of also summon, summon up gremlins is one thing I heard. I feel like when, when you hear a lot of whistling, things do go wrong on shows. So actually, that's something I feel is a real thing. I was probably whistling on Peter Pan. Yeah, I think yeah. it's probably it's probably in the script knowing that show. <laughs> um, yeah, saying saying Macbeth, um, and I also got told really early days that wearing green backstage was bad luck. But I'm, and I think that's something to do with the old limelight. It used to make people blind to green. Absolutely, blind to green, so, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I heard a story that uh, Carol Channing. Mm. Uh, which you did Hello Dolly yeah. uh, was aware of that superstition ah. and um, uh, asked the wardrobe department to use green cotton when they were sewing up Dolly Levi's um, Harmonia Gardens dress oh. she'd appear at the top of the stairwell in a yes. beautiful red dress and the feathers. apparently there was green cotton in it because Channing said no we'll prove that wrong and oh wow did, yeah oh wow that's a great story great story yeah oh wow yeah then do you know if the green room had anything to do with that? The name of the green room. The green room was uh, back in uh, medieval times, I think. Uh, the green room where the actors, because they would perform outside or on wagons, oh. so they would be sitting on a field, which uh. is green grass, of course. And that's oh right. Oh, there. there you go. We we're talking about that just the other day. I wondered. I mean, but you Google it. There's there's like ten oh, right. ten ex- yeah. reasons why it's a green room, but that's the one I believe. Yeah, uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. 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 There you go. There you go. What about opening night? Do you have a, a ritual you go through for luck? Um, not really Just for luck. Get I there think. And get on with the job. Yeah, because quite often with shows, by the time it gets to opening night, there's so much 
so much chaos around like media calls and all of that leading up to it there's not a lot of time I no I think I, I'm really I'm I'm happy and know it's going to be a good show if I've got my opening night opening night frock sorted out and <laughs> and my headpiece finished <laughs> no not superstitious superstitious in that way yeah I do know some people though that you know they they light a candle and say a prayer or you know point in a certain way but no yeah, whatever, whatever you need to get you through, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What about repetition? Does that drive you a bit nuts or, or is um, every night different for the wardrobe department? Yeah, there's always different problems. There's different potential things that, uh, different things that might need repairing. Um, and the repetition of eight shows a week, you know, I just, I just never feel like it's the same. I remember someone saying, don't you feel like you're in a factory if you're just doing the same thing over and over again? And it's like, oh, babe, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Depending, you know, it's from right down from who's, who's in at work that day, who's off sick, um, what's been repaired, what's come out of the wash a different colour randomly, or, you know, there's just, there's always problems and there's always great fun things there's birthdays um and people when we're, we're never the same twice yeah. we like to set up little systems but yeah. we're not unlike the actors who have to perform the same high kick at the same point every night yes. or say the same line or pass the same actor going off stage yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's when that doesn't happen is usually when things go wrong yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no do you have a favorite part of the theater the dressing room or the wings or um, the wardrobe department um well, like at the moment where I'm at in Sydney Lyric, I love the terrace off the green room. <laughs> That's beautiful, in, in uh, especially at the moment in winter and sitting out there before a show on, a, say, a Sunday matinee and um, sitting there and absorbing the sun. That's a beautiful little place to still be in the theatre and you're still in your environment, but you just step outside for a minute. It's very usually very peaceful. Um, I do like being up if there's not people on the fly rail, on the fly floor. I like being up there because it's quiet and you can kind of look down on the stage Obviously, it's someone else's workspace, so I don't go in unless I'm invited or... But that is know. a great vantage point yeah. that not everybody gets to experience. No, yeah. not at all. And and plus, it's, as I said, it's, a, it's not an area that I'm in very often, so it's a bit like a treat being up there. It's sort of secluded, but you're not really. But no one no one looks up. Yeah. <laughs> so you observe. It's like looking down on... See everyone pre-setting for a next show or mopping the stage. It's, yeah... This is nice little aerial view of what we're doing. That calm before the storm. Yeah. 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 So Moulin Rouge, uh, mm. rehearsing in Sydney. Yeah. Um, and I guess a lot of the costumes will be built in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, and then playing Melbourne from, from August, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Previewing from August. And at the Capitol Theatre. Um, no, at the Regent in Melbourne. Regent, mm. sorry. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. There's no Capitol in Melbourne. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, think it's I had a bit of a moment of like, wait, where am yeah. I? <laughs> <laughs> the Regent, yeah, yes, of yeah. course. Which apparently they've done amazing. Have you worked um, there before? I have a long time ago. I'm Priscilla, um, we uh, it's the first time. It's the only other time I've worked there actually. So, and that was a very big costume show with, and it's the backstage of the Regent's very small. Um, and I got very excited. Someone said, "Oh, they've renovated the Regent." And I thought, "Great, they've sorted out backstage. This will be amazing." But they were talking about the auditorium, which apparently they've just reworked it. And they did the launch down there a couple of weeks ago, and couple of the casts we were fitting today were saying it looks beautiful like the auditorium looks stunning so i thought it was gorgeous anyway as it was great uh so. and it'll serve a show like Moulin yeah Rouge beautifully yeah. and i believe it that the, the set for Moulin Rouge is built out into the auditorium yeah it's so almost immersive so um so i'm really looking forward to that 
Like it just sounds like Moulin Rouge. Just sounds amazing. It sounds like a visual feast from How the second exciting. you foot through, set foot through the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so cool. Have you listened to the uh, the cast recording? No, no, actually, I've um I've downloaded it, but I haven't actually listened to it yet. <laughs> um, but I'll get there. But it's like I guess I, you'll get you'll get to hear enough, won't you? I know. I I always <laughs> think twice about downloading a soundtrack of something I'm going to work on or a cast recording because I thought, oh, in a few months I won't want to be listening to this outside of work time. So. Um, but I enjoy getting into the swing of it. And obviously, some of our costumes are um, usually on a label, they'll put a scene, either the name of the scene or a scene number. So, you know, if a fresh set of eyes from another city is reading a label, they know when this costume is supposed to be put on. Um, and so, we've got some costumes that say are called Bad Romance or costume that's called Chandelier or whatever. So, you know the song that's going to go with that. So, that, so we use those. Because some, some extraordinary number of songs are in the score. Yeah, it looked like a really big. Oh, uh, yeah, it's and apparently it's you know a bit of a mashup and everything yeah. as well. So a lot like the, the movie where you just get the bits of everything. So there's some some songs that are from the movie that are still in there, and others that are the new ones added. Extra music, extra loud, extra fast. I, I can't wait. It's going to be exciting. So exciting. If anyone can, you can certainly can. <laughs> Boom. Boom. Chukas for uh, Moulin Rouge Lucetta, and this thank conversation you. has been delightful. Thank oh, you. Thank you so much for having me here. It's been wonderful. <laughs> Moulin Rouge plays the Regent Theatre in Melbourne. It is going to be the next big thing in theatre that everyone will want to see. It features a stellar cast and a brilliant team backstage to bring the opulence of the show to a vivid life. The wardrobe team includes my guest today, Lucetta Stapleton. Chookers to the company of Moulin Rouge for a triumphant season in Melbourne and further afield after that. You've been listening to The Stages podcast, the podcast that converses with creatives about craft and career. I'm Peter Ayers. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time. <laughs> <laughs>